The interview you're about to hear was aired on Planet Philadelphia on Germantown Community Radio at 92.9 FM, WGGTLP Philadelphia, and gtownradio.com. Hello, everyone. I'm Kay Wood, the host of Planet Philadelphia. Linda Rosenwein is also here with us. She's our assistant producer reporter. And we're very happy to be speaking with a couple of great guests. We're going to be talking with Audrey Shulman and Zainab Magavi from HEAT, which is Home Energy Efficiency Team. And we're going to be talking about something called geothermal microgrids. And the reason we're doing that is that our own local PGW, the Philadelphia Gas Works, is trying to transition to a greener future. And this is one of the possibilities they are considering. Hello, Audrey. Hello, Zainab. So nice of you to join us today. I'm thrilled to be here, and I think Zainab is too. Absolutely. Zainab is on a line that is not very secure, so she may be dropping in and out, but we're going to try (laughs) to uh, include her in this interview as much as possible. Why don't we start by both of you saying a little bit about yourselves. Uh, I'm Audrey Schulman. I was uh, one of the co-founders of HEAT over a decade ago. I first started caring about climate change when I was a child, but having a baby in the year 2000 made me start thinking in terms of his lifespan. And because of that, climate change became very personal to me. And that's partly why I helped to start HEAT. Uh, Zainab? Well, I uh, have a background in in physics and um, in global health, but um, also like Audrey started getting involved in addressing climate change because of my children. I have three children and I felt a a bit powerless to solve the problems by individual action alone and so started to look for system solutions and happily uh, joined together with Audrey a few years back to just do our best to try. Mm -hmm. Audrey, what is HEAT and what does it do? Uh, HEAT started a long time ago doing energy upgrade work parties where we taught volunteers how to do the hands-on skills they needed to uh, cut energy bills and emissions in their own homes with the idea that they would socially market these ideas onto other people. But very early on, we became very uh, data-oriented, right? We wanted feedback that we were doing a good job. And so we began to iterate and try different things out, always hungry for more and more emissions. Um, So we began to do uh, solar uh, programs citywide. We did thermal drive-by scans. We just tried lots of different things. In, uh, I think it was 2014, uh, we saw a single newspaper article that said that uh, natural gas leaks emit enough methane, methane's a really potent greenhouse gas, uh, that it basically just the gas leaks in Boston alone erased all of the state's energy efficiency programs. And so I thought, my God, it's the mother load of emissions. <laughs> and uh, we got sucked into uh, doing a lot of work on nat- nat- uh, natural gas leaks. Um, and uh, because of that, we gradually realized how old the infrastructure is in Massachusetts. 
and how big the problem was and how we cannot continue to use gas into the future, that we are spending all this money to replace an infrastructure uh, with new fossil fuel pipes. And that's crazy, given the fact that those pipes are gonna last 50, 75, 100 years. We're not gonna be using gas that long. And we don't wanna have to continue to pay for that infrastructure that far into the future. And that pulled us into the network geothermal, the geomicrodistrict. So Audrey, your organization is a nonprofit organization. You're mm -hmm. located in Massachusetts in Boston. Yes. Okay, so you're in, in Boston and you have gas systems in Boston. We have gas systems here in Philadelphia and they have similar problems, I believe. And you in Boston are thinking of addressing them by doing something called geothermal microgrids. Yes. So, you know, Boston and Philadelphia are both some of the older municipalities in the country and our natural gas infrastructure are both really old and uh, needing a lot of replacement and work. Uh, normally you would think that that would be a bad thing, but I think in, in a way that this can offer an incredible opportunity where we can, instead of continuing to install new fossil fuel infrastructure, and continue to uh, move an explosive gas into people's buildings and light it on fire in order to get heating, uh, we can uh, move potentially to a, a better system, one that is uh, safer, costless, and is uh, renewable with no emissions or can move towards no emissions. Uh, and that is networked ground source heat pumps, or we call it the geo micro district. Uh, you might have heard of heat pumps. Uh, heat pumps are pretty much like a fridge, except for they can move forward or backward, moving heat into your home or out of your home. So it can provide both heating and cooling. And most people have heat pumps in terms of air source heat pumps. So they pull heating and cooling off the air outside and move it into or out of your home. Uh, but in this case, what we want to do is with the ground, because the ground temperature is always very consistent. It's pretty much in the 50s. And so you don't have those enormous temperature swings. You know, the air can get down to zero or up to 100. And that's much harder under those circumstances to pull the temperature off that you want in your home. The ground, it's always the same temperature. So, so these uh, networked ground source heat pumps can provide heating and cooling, which we're going to need more of in the future, in an extraordinarily efficient way. And just to add a little more detail, because they're networked, because there's a shared loop of, of pipe that runs up and down the street, filled with just plain water, with service lines going out to each building, if one building, say uh, the supermarket, starts pulling off a lot of cold for its fridges, it returns into the system, the water a little bit hotter. And that heat can then be used by homes down the street. So by networking the system together, you get increased efficiency. You not only have the you know, continuous temperature of the ground, which is, makes it very efficient, but you also have the energy sharing up and down throughout the district. I wanted to ask what are some of the other reasons you're recommending geothermal microgrids and their positives and negatives? 
One of the positives is that incredible efficiency. For every one unit of electricity, you can move six or more units into or out of your building, which is incredible efficiency. Like a gas boiler, every one unit of gas that you burn, you get less than one unit of energy into your home. So it's just enormously efficient. And because of that efficiency, you not only radically reduce emissions, and those emissions will go down further as our electricity grid sources more and more of its energy from renewables, but you can also decrease energy bills because you don't have to pay for fuel anymore, right? 60% of your energy bill you know, normally pays for the fuel that you use. And so that fuel cost is gone. You only have to pay for a teeny, teeny amount of electricity, as well as the whole system cost, you know, that remaining 40%. So your energy bills are lower, you got reduced emissions, and because you're not using gas, an explosive substance, it is a safer system. If you get a leak on this system, you know, it's just plain water. You can just water the trees nearby. If you can hear me, there's one more really important piece to this, which is jobs. The pipes that are used for this system are the same kind of pipe that is currently used for our gas system. The gas workforce not only gets to stay in their good jobs, but there will be more good jobs installing and building such a system. The last time we heard you talk, you were working towards a business model for utilities. And I wondered if you had any additional information about that. The way gas is currently going, we cannot continue to use it because it is a really potent greenhouse gas. And we will be decarbonizing all of our systems. So that means that uh, as each individual building moves to electricity, there will be fewer and fewer customers left on that gas system with its fixed costs. So even though the PGW is a muni and therefore has no, you know, is not getting profit from it, the costs on the customers remaining on that system are going to go higher and higher until finally PGW will go bankrupt at some point or another. And that would be a terrible thing. Instead, with this system, they can install new infrastructure and gradually grow a you know, non-emitting system that will deliver safer, less expensive, and uh, more reliably heating and cooling for the future. Are there any specifics about those business models that you can give us? So Eversource Gas currently has gotten approval to pilot out this system. And it basically uh, would work in the same way that the gas system works, where customers would get uh, a bill and they would pay the bill. And the bill would go towards the energy needed, as well as towards paying for the infrastructure and other operations and maintenance costs. And so it's pumping energy in pipes through the ground. That's what all gas companies understand. It's very, very similar. It's just, it's not a greenhouse gas anymore. I just want to add, um, I generally call them what's going in the ground in Massachusetts this summer is a demonstration project because mm -hmm. we do know that technology works. There are other cases of it. What we're really piloting is 
the business model, what you're asking about, and there are a lot of interesting questions. Like, is it best and most equitable to bill for temperature or to bill for rate of flow in, in the system? Like, what's the, what's the most appropriate billing mechanism? Where does the meter go? Does it go in front of or behind the heat pump? So there's a whole bunch of details of how to make this a utility scale delivery system that we're attempting to work out. Um, and New York is as well. Um, and we hope Philadelphia. They're not the same thing as figuring out whether it can deliver the energy to the customers. That part, we're, we're sure that it can. You're talking about delivering the energy, and you've mentioned that heating and cooling. I don't have a clear picture in my mind how that would work. For instance, I live in a big old apartment building with steam heat. So how would that work? Steam heat very hard to do and would mean a much more extensive uh, retrofit. What would be the better systems to discuss is forced hot air or forced hot water. Um, so in forced hot air, all you do is instead of having a furnace, you take the furnace out, you put in a heat pump instead. And it's just using electricity. It's heating up the air and delivering it through the vents in the traditional way that you are used to, or it is cooling that air and delivering it through the vents in the way that you're used to. With a forced hot water, you would instead pull out the boiler, put in a heat pump, and again, it would heat the water to be delivered to the radiators. If you wanted cooling, you'd have to do an auxiliary system to deliver that cooling that would come from the, from the geothermal or the ground source heat pump. Uh, Zainab, did you want to say something? I will just add that when we say delivering energy, I mean, this is a, a different way of delivering energy. Instead of delivering, you know, a chemical like gas, we're delivering kind of the opportunity to pull thermal energy off. And there's basically a, a tube of water flowing underground, and, and it comes into your building, say in your mechanical room, and your ground source heat pumps are extracting temperature from the water as it flows by. And they extract whatever temperature your interior building system is demanding. You know, the idea is that we can uh, transition to a system that's much more modern. Um, here in Massachusetts, we have the horrific example of what happened in the Merrimack Valley, where there was a gas disaster where the pipes got overpressurized and uh, over 5,000 households had to flee and their gas was turned off some for months at a time at the beginning of the winter. And with this system, that potential for explosion cannot happen. Is there labor union interest resistance to this idea? And what can you tell us about a jobs analysis for this system? Great questions. Um, so here in uh, Massachusetts, we've been talking uh, with the steelworkers, who are the ones who uh, generally do the repair of the gas mains and the operations and maintenance. And uh, we were lucky enough to have the head of the local steelworkers union talk with us in Philadelphia about how he thinks that this opportunity to move to networked geothermal is something that would be wonderful that he is happy to uh, help work on it, to demonstrate it as a way forward for all of us. In terms of jobs, we have to assume that there will be a lot more jobs because a lot of infrastructure would have to be replaced. 
Go ahead, Zainab. Because we know we can keep the current good jobs that gas workers have, um, and we know we can add more. A group in Massachusetts is currently analyzing how many new good jobs, full wage, et cetera, would be added with a transition from gas uh, network geothermal in Massachusetts. And as soon as we have those numbers, we'll happily share them with all of you in Philadelphia. Yeah, and sorry, can I can I uh, mention one other thing that I sort of don't think I, we've explained well, is that currently the way it's going, people are uh, moving off of gas to electricity for all their building needs. Like I said before, that leaves fewer and fewer customers on the gas system paying for those fixed costs of the gas system. And it will raise the energy bill for them. You know, going forward, the people left on the system as it moves towards more and more expensive energy bills will be those people who can least afford a new heating system. And so in the end, those stranded assets are going to fall on the very low income. And that's something I deeply worry about because that's the way we're going now. It's a huge equity problem. There's a lot that needs to be done to have this sort of system installed. A lot of expense. How are people reacting to that idea? The expense of the infrastructure going in is higher than new gas infrastructure, but it is not high enough to make the long-term bills for the customer higher. In fact, they'll be lower. They're expected to be lower. So yes, it's upfront infrastructure cost, but people don't have to pay that in the utility model. They have to pay it back a small amount over time, just as we do currently with our gas pipes. I'm saying this in a complicated way. I'm going to turn it over to Audrey. So I've got solar on my house. I spent a lot of money up front to put that solar up there. And I could only do that because I have good credit. And it's that's not an equitable way for us to get renewable energy. That instead, the utilities, being very regulated uh, monopolies, are a good way because they go straight down the street and they deliver energy to just about every building on the street, right? And so if we switch out that infrastructure and do it in the way that the utilities commonly do it, where they install the infrastructure and have us all pay for it over decades, then that cost is lower for all of us and it delivers energy to all instead of only the ones who have good credit or you know a huge chunk of money in their bank, right? That would be unfair and that would end up in stranded assets that would again go on the backs of the low income. We can't have that. We must have an equitable transition to a safer, less expensive system if we all you know, want this to work. I don't know if listeners all know, but our gas company funded a diversification study to detail possible paths forward for the gas company. And I was wondering what your assessment was of that diversification study? It was an awesome study. I mean, first off, I love the fact that the stakeholders found that the networked geothermal system, they found that the best potential system. It seemed to get the most votes. And I loved also the fact that 
the city decided on the ways of looking, of just making the decision of which system to go to based on, I think it was cost, uh, safety, jobs, equity. You know, it was just a lovely set of, of ways to make the decision. And uh, given those different priorities, I think uh, this geomicro district, this networked ground source heat pump system, is uh, exactly what you might want to try <laughs> in Philadelphia. In in terms, uh, of, yeah, go ahead, Zainab. I just want to add: we haven't seen the final version of the study, but in seeing all of the amazing voices feedback on the draft version, I thought there was a. a great effort by the stakeholders in Philadelphia to correct small aspects of it that were off. For example, for the network geothermal, it, was, it said, you know, pumping hot water, small correction. But uh, I think Audrey's right about the gist of it and the, and the decision-making framework that Philadelphia has put forward. And so we're really excited to see this happen. Are you in ongoing conversations with PGW and the city administration about all of this or not? We have met with city government a couple times over the past couple of years and with many stakeholders. We have not met with PGW. Mm -hmm. No, uh, PGW is on that one call we had with a variety of guests. Oh, I, I take that back. I guess we have. <laughs> yeah, but I'd, I'd forgotten that we'd met with the city in any way. So I guess we have in some ways. We would love to have ongoing conversations if it's helpful. Um, and I'd like to make clear that we do not in any way take funding from uh, gas or geothermal industries. What we do is simply try to be a, a think tank, basically, to try to come up with the best systems possible to help us all find the change that we need to make to allow a livable future for our children. It would seem to me that there might be some situations in which geothermal doesn't work very well. For instance, some parts of Philadelphia are right on top of a lot of rocks and it'd be very difficult to drill oh. in. Um, part of what would be interesting to know about is your thoughts about geothermal microgrids coordinating with other hybrid systems. Yep. I really believe that all non-emitting options should be on the table at this point. We, we don't know what our energy future looks like exactly. And when we look at uh, the energy that our gas system is currently supplying, there are some buildings that maybe it makes sense to do an individual solution, like an air source heat pump or a ground source heat pump. There are some buildings that maybe they're an industry that needs a totally different combustion solution. But there's a, a large section in the middle and in, in based on Massachusetts data, a, a majority of our gas system that can be met by a, a network browser heat pump or heat geogrid. In Philadelphia, we haven't done that analysis, but you mentioned rock and rock is great. This is a bedrock energy system. A really good bedrock uh, is the best option. The closer it is to the surface, the better for uh, efficiency of energy storage and movement. There are gonna be places where there's something in the way <laughs> um, or some historic contamination that you don't want to drill into the ground there. There's gonna be situations like that. We don't have any way to map that yet, but we hope Philadelphia will consider it. And I'll just, I'll point out that uh, New York City 
on Earth Day, Mayor de Blasio uh, announced that uh, they would be doing several demonstration projects there in New York City and that they would look into changing legislation to allow geothermal utilities to get to scale there. And if you can do it in New York City with that sort of underground infrastructure, you can do it anywhere. Interesting. There are a couple buildings here in Philadelphia. I don't know if you know of them, like the Kensington Kappa High School and the German Society that are using geothermal energy. Do you know about those? I, I didn't, but there's a few sort of everywhere, it seems like. There are legislative and regulatory changes in each state. Do you have any suggestions for us here in Pennsylvania? Oh my goodness, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I'm not going to be up on the rules regarding municipal utility, but uh, we've been thinking about it here in Massachusetts with investor-owned utilities that are uh, tightly regulated. And we suggest that first they are allowed to sell heating and cooling and not just gas, right? And that... In generally, uh, gas infrastructure is amortized, you know, pay, uh, paid off very slowly by all the customers. But by 2050, if we want to be non-emitting, that gas infrastructure should not be paid off after that point, right? Because we won't be able to use it. So let's stop the amortization by 2050. And with that, we will, with every year that goes by, we will make it less attractive to install that gas infrastructure and in comparison, more attractive to install renewable thermal infrastructure. What we're saying is really, we need to plan ahead and stop investing in gas infrastructure we know we can't use so that we don't end up with financial disaster collapse. And then the other thing is, in redefining a gas company, if we redefine a gas company as a thermal energy company, it allows the opportunity to evolve, to deliver all of us the renewable energy we need for this coming century and meet our climate mandates and modernize our system. Yeah, and deliver cooling, which we're going to need more and more of in the future as, as climate change gets worse. I'll throw in one other benefit that I don't think we've named which is one of your priorities is improved air quality. And this system would not only improve outdoor air quality, but it would also improve indoor air quality. Because if we're not burning things inside the house, we, if we don't have combustion in the buildings, then that indoor air quality will be improved. And that's correlated strongly with a reduction in asthma, especially childhood asthma and other illnesses. I think I'd heard in the past you say that for legislative and regulatory changes in each state, people could contact you with for more information. Is yes. that true? Yes, yes, absolutely. There's an informal consortium of um, folks taking action on this across different states. And we, we want to make as much as possible, share our key learnings across states um, and share the language and the challenges we're meeting. Um, so we very much invite all of you in Pennsylvania to join us in, in trying to find the best path forward on that. How would they find out more? Oh, um, so it's heat.org if you want to see more information about us. 
H-E-E-T.org. And then if you want to email us, it's info at H-E-E-T.org. And I also remember you saying that you had other available materials that people can access. What, what are those? We have a, a library of resources that we are gradually adding more and more pieces to. And our, our policy is to be absolutely open source. Everything that we create is creative commons. So it's open for anyone to use, reuse. Is there anything else you think we might have missed? The study uh, said that this would work uh, only in some areas, that the HEATS geomicrodistrict would work only in some areas and seemed to constrain the idea to only having homes on the system. And the system works best if you have buildings that have different energy needs uh, at the same time or at different times. So for instance, a data center, a supermarket, a hockey rink, a, uh, you know, any, any buildings that have different energy uses than homes would make the entire system more efficient because that mm -hmm. office, for instance, would pull a lot of cooling and provide heating for the homes. Uh, I just want to make sure that that's really clear, uh, that the more bigger the system, the more diverse the system, uh, the more efficient the system. Go ahead, Zane. I'm so glad you said that, Audrey, because... Um... That was one of the concerns about the draft uh, report uh, for Philadelphia's um, transition uh, was that I, I believe that the consultants may not have fully understood the feasibility report for the geo micro district and had not realized the potential of the balancing energy and were thinking more in the construct of an individual ground source heat pump system. Um, and so I, I hopefully we've we've corrected that um, and they can correct their estimation and projections. And, and um, can I throw one more correction in from the from the decarbonization study? Certainly. Uh, uh, is that uh, they suggested that the cost for the geo micro district was unknown. And the only reason they said that, as I understand it, if they didn't know if they could uh, have the cost to go across all ratepayers, basically. And if they could, uh, you know, pay for the system over 50 years or so, as they do with the gas system currently. And so if you do both of those things, as I said before, the cost in terms of energy bills in term, you know, in every possible way would be lower. Uh, so we have to decarbonize. This is the system that will do so with equity, with improved safety, with a lower energy bill, and provide cooling. It seems pretty, <laughs> that's, it's and, a nice. And, and great jobs. Yeah, and let me I, just I, throw in really quickly that Philadelphia is such an important example because you are the uh, oldest and largest gas uh, municipal utility in the country. So you have an ability here to sort of set the stage nationally in a way that nobody else does because they're not, you're not to the level of the state. It's not an investor owned utility. Uh, you can do so much more uh, than almost anybody else can. And I'll also add that like, I think uh, Philadelphia was the first, if not one of the first places where gas was used. And the first time it was used, uh, they actually made the pipes from uh, Civil War uh, gun barrels. 
rifle barrels and they put them together. <laughs> to, and I just find that fascinating that they, that they uh, rethought, uh, you know, repurposed uh, something that had the Civil War, which had been so destructive. And here's a time where we can repurpose uh, the gas system to head towards something that we do want in the future. I bet some of those old pipes are still there. I was oh, just, yes. I was some just of the thinking. wooden pipes for the water are still there. Yeah, same, same in Boston. We have some wooden pipes for water. We have right going down Beacon Street near our state house. We have a, a pipe from the Civil War, like post-Civil War, Lincoln's presidency. Um, yeah. As you heard, uh, the people who spoke about the diversification study were a lot of them were kind of uh, negative about the other options that were explored and didn't feel that those were explored um, rigorously correctly, correctly. <laughs> uh, and that not all other possible options were explored. And I don't know why they yeah. came down with the particular four ones that they came down with. In comparison to the Brattle Group's um, similar project for Rhode Island, in comparison to the work that's happening in California and Massachusetts, um, the the work done for Philadelphia was an improvement. I thoroughly agree with you that the vision is limited, uh, and I, I think there's also a really interesting thing with your role as a municipal municipal utility. Um, you have more control to be able to transition portions of it off without collapsing. Uh, the other and, yet, and yet it was better than all the other ones so far. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. The other thing that I was concerned about, um, a lot of the comments or, or the view of the study itself was quite narrow and not looking at the broader context. I mean, what does mm -hmm. it take to do everything electrified in this country or everything. I mean, you have to build the grid and you have to have all the storage yeah. and you have the unreliable. I know oh, yeah. was looking at that, you know, just looking at sort of electrification. Yes, <laughs> so I thought that was a real um, weakness of, of, of the thinking. Yeah, I, I really am so delighted that you brought up this, the system aspect because we have yet to see anyone take that on in a study. And the, the idea of looking at the interconnections between our entire energy system, like if we shift our transportation to electric and our heating to electric, how do we meet that peak load on our electric grid? And when you start to, to look at it that way, the idea of building a thermal grid to cover the heating and take part of the cooling load allows electrification of everything to happen much more quickly because you simply need less expansion of the electric grid um, and lower you have lower peaks to meet. So Zainab, you're saying that it's really important to have an analysis of how the systems are going to work together or at least start yes. to do that. Yes, and we have to move so quickly to meet these goals, if you really look at the scale of what we have to accomplish, it's a little bit mind-blowing.
we we can't just do something that we can do. We, we have to do the most efficient possible path forward. So if we start looking at our electric system, our transportation system, our, our heating system and thermal cooling system, and, and we start to think about them all as one large energy system and find synergies, where can these systems help each other? Where can the, the transition that each of them has to undergo um, have both synergies and positive amplifications so that we can get there faster and more efficiently? Okay, well, thank you. It's lovely that you do this radio show. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much. I hope you will consider making a small monthly donation to help Planet Philadelphia continue presenting interviews on important underreported environmental topics and exploring their complexities and intersections. Thank you so much for your support. If you want to know more about Planet Philadelphia, go to planetphiladelphia.com. You could also find out more about other G-Town Radio programming by going to gtownradio.com. Thank you for listening.